Good morning. It's uh, good to be here at the start of Lent, moving from a sense of discovery into a, a sort of journey into the wilderness we are. And this kind of takes us that first little step of the way. And it's perhaps fitting as we come here on Valentine's Day that we hear of a couple meeting, being married, having their child at the end of this passage, but there's also a a foreshadowing here of a bigger story. There's something going on in this passage about not the love between a man and a woman, but the love that God has for his people. God hears the cries and he responds. And as we've just sang, what a faithful God have I. What a faithful God we have. He remembers his promises. He remembers his love for his people. Verse 11 uh, in Exodus 2 um, begins with an adult Moses. There's been some time passing. In the previous verse, he was a, a young child just being named by Pharaoh's daughter. But here he is a grown-up. He's a man. A real man. And he goes out to see what is going on. Many through the years have called him a young man at this point. And like many a young man, he's maybe prone to overreact. He's maybe a little bit impetuous. He quickly does things without thinking through his actions, maybe. But in the retelling of this passage by the Apostle uh, Stephen, before the Sanhedrin Council in Acts 7, Moses is declared to have been a 40-year-old man when he journeys out there. You know, a little bit younger than me, but maybe not young. Maybe not that teenage or 20-something that you might imagine stumbling out of the palace and just seeing what's going on and getting into a fight. He should be a bit more mature than that. He's got something else going on. He sees a Hebrew and he's being beaten. And so Moses steps into the fray and he kills the Egyptian. Now, although he's been getting brought up by the Pharaoh's daughter, although he's living in the palace, we imagine, based on the previous verses, he identifies the Hebrew as a kinsman, somebody that is his relative, 
It's someone that he connects to. It's a member of the family of God. Someone that he knows is a fellow child of Israel. And so there is an awareness in Moses' life of who he is and how he has grown up and how that means he is supposed to live. I wonder whether we have an awareness of who we are. Does it stop with being who we are in our small family? The people that we woke up with in the house this morning, in our homes? Or do we see ourselves as part of a much bigger family? That family of God. Are we children of God? And are we concerned about how our brother, our sister is treated? We might not feel as if we are wealthy princes or princesses. But we are born in the affluent West. We are each blessed with freedoms that those in other nations do not experience. They do not have. And they might be oppressed. And they might be beaten as this Hebrew was getting beaten. Simply because of who they are. Someone who is different. Do we avert our eyes? Or do we call out for change to be made? Is it something that we let slip by? Or do we get involved? Moses' behavior is generally thought of as going too far. And in a law court, it might be deemed to have been premeditated. It was murder. For Moses looked and checked that no one was near. It's not a rash act. He considers what he's doing. He thinks through the actions and covers up the body. When I was telling David earlier this week that I was going to be uh, what I was going to be preaching on, I said that Moses took the law into his own hands and then discovers he's wrong. But as the week's gone on, I've seen this more and more as standing in for the weak against the strong. The Hebrew man was beaten, perhaps to death. It is unclear by the words used, but certainly close to death. And there's not even an indication that this was the slave master. It might simply be a racist act, someone getting beaten up because they're different. It was right that the Egyptian was opposed. Though don't take that as authority for being a vigilante. He was in a society where the authorities might have done little or nothing. Immediate action was necessary. We live in a different world. But this action of Moses, where he looks, he sees, and he responds, 
is a glimpse of what is to come in the book of Exodus. It's the first of these glimpses. The NIV, which we use here in our pew Bibles, lets us down a little bit in verse 12. Because it takes the Hebrew text and the word naka and translates that as killed. But a more accurate translation would say strikes or that the Hebrew is, uh, that, that the Egyptian is struck down. It's true that the Egyptian is killed. But that word naka is important. It sees something more. It will appear again in our passage tonight. If you come to the evening service at half six, the word strikes appears again. And it appears again in chapter 12, 12. And in each of those, and in a few other times too, it's about where the Lord talks of striking the firstborn sons. It's about how the Lord will act. As Moses saw the oppression of one man, God sees the oppression of the children of Israel. As Moses struck one Egyptian in judgment, God will strike the nation of Egypt in judgment at the time of the Passover. Moses, of course, thought no one had seen. His secret was safe. He can get away with it, can't he? He had a quick look about. Nobody was there. But whenever we do something, it is seen. Nothing is ever completely unknown. The next day, he goes to stop an argument between two Hebrews, one of whom is in the wrong. He wants them to seek peace. He wants them to be brothers. But they challenge his authority to rule and to judge. It has not yet come to the time of his call from the burning bush. But even then, the authority of Moses will be challenged again and again by the Hebrew leaders, by the Pharaoh, by all people, it would seem, they question who he is. When he leads to the edge of the Red Sea, when they've been in the wilderness a few days, and need more fresh food. Again and again. Who are you, Moses, to be our judge? Who are you, Moses, to be our leader? And although not verbalized in the same way, in challenging Moses, they are challenging God and the way of God. They dismiss the Heavenly Father and his plans for them how they are to be one people, 
one family. And people still do that today, don't they? Society prefers to live in the captivity of sin than the freedom of going God's way and following Jesus. They think they are happier without the Lord and do something else other than worship him on a Sunday. These are the people of the world. And we live in the world too. But we're called not to be of it. To live differently. To live God's way. But even among those of us who do know him. Who do claim to love him. Are our ears always open to his word? There are times we rebel. There are times that we challenge his authority. There are times that we do not listen as he speaks and guides. And for that, we must turn anew to God. We then hear in the passage that the Pharaoh discovers... And the Pharaoh finds out about what Moses has done. The news of the Egyptian being dead. And so the king wants to kill Moses. And the Israelite flees to the wilderness as the children of Israel will on the morning following the Passover flee to the wilderness, to escape and to have new life. Moses, the Israelite, had been a foreigner in Egypt. Even though he'd been born there, he'd been a foreigner. Many generations had been there before him, but yet he was a foreigner. Do we accept people as an individual? Or do we treat them based on the past, on past generations? Do we have stereotypes and preconceived prejudice? Now in the land of Midian, he again is seen to be a foreigner. He's a stranger and rules daughters identify him as an Egyptian because that's where he's come from. That's his culture almost. He's grown up in that environment. Those in Egypt saw him as a Hebrew. But now he has become a man almost struggling with his identity. But there is something clear about who he is. He's a man of justice. He's a man of faith. A man who can be trusted. It's clear that 
the young women regularly faced discrimination at the well. Male shepherds would come preventing the watering of the flock. The way they speak to their father suggests that this is a daily issue. But Moses acts with authority. He turns the shepherds away. And this is the third time in the passage. He's seen the injustice. He sees an oppressor. And he responds. This is not a murderer who has done wrong. He is someone acting with faith. And so we see him rewarded with a meal in the desert. A meal that he wasn't expecting coming from the priest of Midian. When we wonder why God chose this man to lead his people, it's not just his royal upbringing. It's not just that experience of time in the wilderness being a shepherd. It is that he is a man of justice. A man that's seeking to do what is right. The meal he has with Ruel leads to becoming part of a family. And we might consider the marriage to be arranged or at the behest of the father. And that might make us a little bit uncomfortable. When I've conducted weddings, I tend to say, who brings this woman rather than who gives this woman that? word give is a bit loaded, isn't it, in the marriage ceremony these days. No longer is the sense of patriarchal ownership of the bride's hand. But although arranged, there has been an act of chivalry. And it might not be quite as instant as the slapping together of verses here might suggest. The whole episode from meal to marriage might have been some time. There's time for our relationship to develop. Time for him to settle. A time for love to grow. Moses will be the shepherd of Ruel's flock. And again, if we are to follow this through in Acts chapter 7, Stephen at the Sanhedrin says that this is for 40 years. It's 40 years from getting married and this celebration of meeting this family to discovering the burning bush. Forty years shepherding in the wilderness. Just as we will later come to 40 years shepherding the people of Israel in the wilderness. During which time a new generation will be born and grow up. 
we need to be open to be guided by God as he sets forth his plan. It's not always instant. It's not always quick. We might want it to be, and I might come back to that tonight. But in this passage is a microcosm of the Exodus story. A small-scale version of the plan of what is about to unfold over a period of years. For God will look and will see and will act and lead his people forth. This is a vision of the God who is a God of justice and who calls his people to be a people of justice. But perhaps the Exodus story in itself is a small-scale version of something greater. For we, the people of earth across the world, are held in captivity by sin. But the Lord looks, and he sends a rescuer. He sends his son, Jesus, our good shepherd. The one who has freedom and freed us from the oppression of sin and death. So let us be, let us be his people and respond to his call on our life to be people of faith, people of justice, people who listen, and people who respond.